Oh God, we would make room for you in this season of all seasons, room in our minds and hearts, room in our lives. Now let your word be born in us anew so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the light of Christ will shine in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight in our candlelight service, we'll read Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. And our Sunday school lesson focused on Mary, but this morning's gospel reading in Matthew's account of the birth that Christmas celebrates will focus on Joseph a lot. Listen now for God's word for us in our reading from the first chapter of Matthew. We'll start at the 18th verse. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people for, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Joseph, well, Jesus, Joseph, and Genesis is the title of today's sermon, and it kind of suggests three topics, doesn't it? Let's take them in reverse order. First, Genesis. The first verse of Matthew's gospel is an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what we just read from the 18th verse began, now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. But the Greek word, both places, is neither genealogy nor birth. The original Greek, the language the New Testament was written in, says Genesis. Matthew's gospel does begin with a, it begins with that long genealogy that traces Jesus' ancestry back to King David and then all the way back to Abraham. Remember Abraham, the man that God promised to make a, a blessing to all nations. Now sometimes those verses in the first 17 verses of Matthew are called the begats because the King James version uses that old-fashioned word begat 39 times I counted 39 times starting with Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judah and his brother 
Well, some of those names we know. Isaac, Jacob, Judah. We're familiar with lots of the men. But guess what? There are five women on that list, that genealogy as well, three of whom were regarded as sexually immoral. Now, both Jews and Gentiles are included too. The genealogy does not just show something of Jesus' family tree, that he's a descendant of King David and of Abraham. It shows that God delivers blessing through and for both Jews and Gentiles. That God works through human sin and error and not with perfect people, because guess what? There aren't any, are there? I mentioned that some of the women had kind of a documented sin history. But the list also includes men who were guilty of lying, murder, adultery, and well, you get the picture. None of them were angels. They were humans. Even sinful human beings have a role in God's good plans. Genesis. Now consider Joseph. Mary, the mother of Jesus, as prominent in Luke's familiar account of the birth of Jesus, but in Matthew's account, Joseph is. You know, fathers don't get much respect. When the TV camera focuses on some football player, some soldier, some hero, somebody in the spotlight, how often do you hear me, hi, Mom? <laughs> and how often do you hear good old Dad mention that all? Rarely. Well, let me, let me share a little telephonic history with uh, the younger, younger folks here. Way back in the day, old days, I don't call them good old days, but the old days, you know, before smartphones and unlimited minutes, they had this thing called a pay phone. <laughs> you had to feed quarters in it to make your call, or if you didn't have enough money or didn't want to spend the money, you could ask a human being called an operator. Operator, I want to make a collect call. <laughs> and that's where the caller didn't pay, the callee paid. Well, children around the world would use this pay phone device to call their parents on special days. Mother's Day was the day when the record was set for the greatest number of calls. And Father's Day, guess what? Father's Day was the record-setting day for collect calls. <laughs> <laughs> well, dads don't get the attention or respect that mom's doing before you. Somebody says that they don't deserve it either. <laughs> That's the bad one. But this morning, let's consider Mary's husband, Joseph. The first thing we learn here about Joseph is he's engaged to a young woman named Mary when he gets what I'd call a gut-wrenching disappointment. His fiance is pregnant and not by him. Now, Hebrew betrothal was not like, not like kind of a lot of modern engagements, you know, where people live together months or even years before doing what, well, as Beyonce saying, put a ring on it, put a ring on it. <laughs> takes a while. That's not the way they did. So the first thing we learn about Joseph, he's a would-be husband, gets really bad news. 
And the second thing we learn about Joseph is that he's neither mean nor vindictive. He's a gentleman. By the rules of that culture, Joseph could have dismissed Mary publicly to her shame, right? And for that matter, according to the law in the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy, he could have had her stoned to death for her apparent infidelity. But Joseph, being a righteous man, unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But then, Joseph had a dream, a dream in which an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child is from the Holy Spirit. First, Matthew tells us that God spoke to Joseph in a dream. And then, Joseph accepts this message as genuine. So let me ask you, have you ever received a divine message in a dream? Has an angel in a dream ever conveyed some message from God to you? Don't go looking at me funny. Not so long ago, before the words tweet and text and email were kind of everyday words, if you told anyone that your watch or your phone was sending you messages, you'd be spending some quality time with a psychiatrist figuring out the right medication for you. <laughs> I knew a number of people in that situation. <clears throat> Earlier in the Bible, God used dreams to communicate with people. In the 20th chapter of Genesis, King Abimelech, he had a traumatic dream where God told him he was about to die. And the king successfully, in the dream, successfully defended himself against that death penalty. Well, you look that one up, right? Later in the 28th chapter of Genesis, you can read the dream that Jacob had at Bethel. Wait, you remember where he had to have a stone for a pillow? That was always the hardest thing for me to believe. You put a rock under your head for a pillow? I could do without a pillow. But anyway, uh, he did. And he dreamed of a ladder set up on earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Well, you know that story. It's one we sing about, but we are climbing Jacob's ladder. In the 37th chapter of Genesis, we read about two dreams that the old of the Old Testament Joseph, first he had that dream about greatness and the other a dream in which his brothers bowed down to him. And that last one, that's part of why he got sold off into slavery. So be careful who you tell your dreams to, I guess. Remember that Joseph also had a gift for interpreting dreams. First the dreams of fellow prisoners when he got thrown in jail, and then in the 41st chapter, you can read about how Joseph interprets. Pharaoh had two dreams, and Joseph said, oh, they have just one dream. And he told them they meant there would be seven good years and seven years of famine. Well, you remember that God asked Solomon what he should give that young king, and Solomon asked for wisdom. Well, the third chapter of 1 Kings tells us that Solomon, he didn't ask for riches, he did not ask for personal gain, but said, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. Don't you wish all our leaders would pray that today, huh? Well, that conversation happened again in a dream. 
And one more. The second chapter of Daniel tells us about that prophet interpreting the dream of Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar several times in that book of Daniel. Daniel is spoken to in dreams. And then, well, one other. The prophet Joel prophesies of a day, a prophecy that gets repeated by Peter when he's preaching in the, in the book of Acts. He's talking about a day when God's spirit will be poured out and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Well, if you read about the story of Jesus' birth, you'll see a bunch of dreams in that. And for that matter, before Jesus was crucified, you remember Pilate's wife had a dream that prompted her to come in and tell her to Leave this man alone. Don't have anything to do with him. But Pontius Pilate did not listen. But Joseph, husband of Mary, Joseph did listen. He didn't just hear the angel's message in his dream. Joseph did not respond with that kind of semi-polite blow-off response. You know, I hear you. Thanks for sharing. No, Joseph accepted, believed the message, and he did what God's messenger had told him to do. He took Mary as his wife. He named his son Jesus. Now, if you read about the birth of John the Baptist in the first chapter of Luke, you'll see that it was customary to name sons after their fathers. It's worked at our house, isn't it, Paul? Although he's named for my grand, like, like me, he's named for my father. Nonetheless, that was the custom or at least other family members. Remember when John the Baptist was born, his mother's neighbors and relatives were gonna name him Zechariah after his father. But his mama said, no, he is to be called John. And their response, they said, well, none of your relatives has this name. Well, the same could have been said to Joseph and Mary, but Joseph did what God's messenger told him to do. They named him Jesus. The other significant thing about naming is that for a father in that culture to name a child was to claim him. Claim him as this is my son. Well, you and I, are, we're not like Joseph in one way. We're not called to raise the baby, the boy, the teenager, the young man, Jesus Christ. That's not our calling. Unlike Mary and Joseph, we're not called to raise him. But like Joseph, we are called to claim him. Jesus Christ came in history. Today he comes to us in mystery. And he will come again in majesty. Thanks be to God. Now, as you go out from this place to seek to do God's will, may the steadfast love of God give you hope. May the redeeming power of Christ give you faith. May the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit give you joy and peace this day and every day. Amen.